haven't met you yet. My name is Joe, uh, one of the pastors here. And um, I don't know about you, but you can feel summer slipping away. The, the nights are getting darker earlier and the, the mornings are getting darker as well, um, which makes me really excited that IUP students will be back. So let's pray and uh, then we're going to jump into God's word. Father, thank you for the rain that we need. Thank you for just caring for your creation and, and all of the people that you have made every, in every part of the globe. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would fill us with joy this morning as we look at the book of Psalms, particularly Psalm 100, and we pray we would be different because of it and ask for your help as I teach your word. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, this morning we are heading back to the book of Psalms. So for the next few weeks, we're going to continue a series that we began about two months ago in the book of Psalms. So if you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 100. And the title of this series is entitled uh, Singing Through Every Season. Singing Through Every Season. Not sinning through every season, but singing through every season. And the title of today's message is A Call to Exuberant Praise, Trust, and Devotion. Uh, the whole purpose of this series is really to kind of tune our hearts to, to uh, be right with the Lord, to sing to the Lord, to experience the joy of the Lord. And as you know, if you've lived for any amount of time, there are many different kinds of seasons in life. And the Psalms, probably unlike any other part of the Bible, they capture the human experience in a really real and vivid and tangible way that the psalmists are honest and when they're wrestling, they're wrestling and when they're joyful, they're joyful and they just take us through this journey of life. Well, Psalm 100 uh, is one that draws our attention to how great it is that we can know the living God. And I want you to think of this psalm as a, a music tuner. Now, if you don't know me, I know very little about music. Played the French horn a little bit in um, middle school and it didn't, didn't go well. Made it through ninth grade band and then um, decided to quit and the band director was happy about that, I'm sure. Um, but I know at least a little bit about things can be flat and things can be sharp. So look at Psalm 100 as a tuner to tune your heart. So maybe your heart is flat today, maybe it's sharp, maybe it's just off center and you've forgotten how great it is that you can know the living God. Well, in five verses, the psalmist is going to tune our hearts. And he's going to call us to this exuberant praise, trust, and devotion because of who God is. So look at Psalm 100, verses 1 through 5 with me. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Depending on your Bible translation, it may say make a loud shout to the Lord all the earth. The, the idea here is when, when a, a king would come before the people, and let's say a good king, a king that everybody loved, was a benevolent king, and the people uh, would give a loud shout. That's the idea here. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. 
enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. So we're going to walk through this, these five verses and the Lord is going to tune our hearts as we do so. So point number one, the Lord is worthy of exuberant praise and devotion at all times. God is worthy of exuberant, expressive praise and devotion at all times in every season of our life. Verse one and two again. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Make a loud shout to the Lord. All the earth, every inch of the globe that God has made is called to worship the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. See, the psalmist is calling us to have this exuberant, expressive satisfaction, delight, and joy in the living God. And he's calling all of us into that call of worship and devotion. And here's the thing. You will be happiest. You will be most satisfied when your attention is drawn to delighting in the Lord. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, the famous pastor we often quote from the 1800s, has a, an incredible compilation on the Psalms called The Treasury of David. And he wrote this about Psalm 100. Now listen to this. This will tune your heart. This quote right here. Our happy God should be worshipped by a happy people. A cheerful spirit is in keeping with his nature, his acts, and the gratitude which we should cherish for his mercies. I love that beginning. Our happy God should be worshipped by a happy people. Not a fake people, but a people that realize they have been on the receiving end of incredible mercy. They deserved wrath and they got mercy. They deserved eternal justice and they got love and kindness and grace. That makes one a happy person. So a happy people brings God much honor and much glory. See, this, this call to exuberant worship, this is not a personality thing. This is everything to do with the object of who we are to worship. This is everything to do with the God who made heaven and earth just by speaking. This has everything to do with the God who sent God the Son, Jesus, into this world to live a perfect life and die as a substitute in our place and rise from the grave three days later. It has everything to do with him. And so we want to draw our attention. We want our hearts to be tuned and fixed on who he is and what he is like. And I chose the word exuberant because I think it, it captures um, what the idea of this psalm is. So let me just read some of the definitions for exuberant from the dictionary. Effusively and almost uninhibitedly enthusiastic. So this, this kind of radical devotion that you'll leave everything for and you'll just fix your heart and your, your thoughts and your affections and your desires. 
and your satisfaction on him. Abounding in vitality, extremely joyful and vigorous. That, that the, you encounter the Lord and it, it does something. It changes you. This is where, if you're new to Christianity, what, we're not just talking about a, a set of facts or a set of principles to follow, but we're talking about a live, living relationship through Jesus Christ with the God who made everything. And when that happens, God the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and your heart becomes alive and there's new desires inside of you. And so the natural response is this exuberant praise and devotion. Now, some of you just think, that's just not my personality. That's just not what I'm like. Obviously, some of us are more expressive than others. Some of us um, are, are louder than others. Some of us like to talk more than others. But if you have a personal relationship with the Lord, it should have an effect on your devotion and your excitement and your joy in the Lord. I want to give you three New Testament examples of, I would say, three very different personalities that all encountered the Lord, and I want you to consider what that encounter did in each of them. The first um, is a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Tax collectors in the days of Jesus were not thought of as a, um, they were not thought of well, particularly by the Jewish people. And the problem was, is they were Jewish but they worked for the Roman government. And so they ended up taking money from their relatives and their friends and their, their countrymen to give to Rome and they would pocket a lot and they would get very rich. Well, there's a, a, a tax collector we meet in the Bible named Zacchaeus that Jesus decides to go to his house and eventually Zacchaeus encounters Jesus's love and mercy. He encounters the, the king of kings in his own home this is a man that was really rich, but most likely despised by many. So it would have been a lonely, rich life as a tax collector. And listen to, to what happens um, in verse 8 of Luke 19. This is while Jesus is at his house. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, the Lord, behold Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. See, Jesus came, he sought after Zacchaeus. He actually saw him from a distance, called to him, and said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house, and we're going to have a, a party, we're going to have a celebration. And the result of that encounter with Jesus was Zacchaeus wanted to make amends with all the people that he ripped off. And there was suddenly a, a generous heart that had not been there before. Most likely, it was a stingy heart. He probably had a tight grip on his money bag. And all of a sudden, he encounters Jesus and he's just throwing money here and there and giving it away. Why would he do that? Because he encountered the living God. He encountered the mercy of the king, and the result was he, was he was extravagant. He was exuberant in his commitment. He was radical in his generosity, and he was all in for Jesus. See, giving away the money didn't make salvation come to him. 
it was an evidence that salvation had come to him. So keep Zacchaeus in your mind. Second example of exuberant praise. This comes from a homeless man who was living in a graveyard and was enslaved by thousands of demons. This is a man who was, um, let's say in our day and age, in our language, would have been a harm to himself and a harm to others. And Jesus and his disciples came to the place where this man lived. And this man, um, according to Jewish law, would have been unclean because he lived among the dead. So he was a man that really nobody other than maybe his mom and dad and brother and sister, if he had them, thought much of him. People were afraid of him. He would have looked grotesque because it says in the Bible he would beat himself at, at night with rocks and he would scream and sometimes they'd try to chain him so he wouldn't hurt people. And the king of the universe comes to visit him. And when he comes to visit him, he sets him free. And listen to what happens next in Mark 5. This man, understandably so, wanted to go with Jesus and the disciples, but Jesus had other plans for him. And this is what Jesus tells him. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And this man, who was homeless, harmed to himself, harmed to others, despised, lowly, according to society standards, and this man, he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. This man was uh, the, maybe the, the trophy of God's undeserving grace. And the response was this exuberant praise and devotion. No fear of what people thought because he encountered the king and he wanted to tell people what the king was like. And he went to the 10 cities in the area and did that. Last example from the New Testament. There's many examples. I just picked out three. This is exuberant praise from what scholars believe probably was a young girl between ages 14 and 18, give or take a year or two. This is Mary's response, the mother of Jesus, as she's coming to, to really grips with the fact that she is bearing the Son of God. She's actually going to be carrying the King of Kings. She actually is at this point. And as she considers this, her heart erupts with exuberant praise and devotion. Listen to this. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, for now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, and he exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham 
and his offspring forever. See, she comes to grips with her personal encounter with the Lord was entirely unique. And the response is praise, worship, and devotion. See, the more we see the Lord, the more we understand the Lord, the more we encounter him as we read his word, the more this exuberant praise and devotion will, like a, a volcano, will just begin to erupt from our hearts, from our action, from our speech, from, from our commitment to the Lord and his people. See, seeing the Lord should produce exuberant praise and devotion that will transcend your personality. See, as you consider that the living God has been mindful of you, sent his son to rescue you, it, it should produce an eruption of praise. But at times, if you're like me, the, the cares of the world, the pressures of life, the distractions, they just, they just take you away. They spin you around in circles and you miss this incredible reality that we have been recipients of the king's grace and mercy. Paul says this in Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. If you're familiar with the book of Romans, he spends many chapters talking about this incredible free gift that we have in Jesus Christ. And then the natural outflow of that is this strong appeal in Romans 12. We should be just devoted with our gifts, with our talents, with our energy, with our resources to do all we can to serve the Lord, to, to serve his people and to reach those who don't yet know him. It's this kind of all-in devotion that comes from inside as you have an encounter with the Lord. This week, um, my son Adam and I were at a track and he was doing a track workout and we were leaving and we were watching, or I was watching a junior high uh, football practice as I was walking up the hill to go back to our car. And so we were watching the future of Marion Center football. Um, I won't comment on that, but, but I will comment on, um, we hope it goes really, really, really well. Um, I know there's a lot of schools represented in the Heritage Conference in Indiana here, so, but we root for our team, like you do as well. But there was one kid that stood out immediately as I was watching, and he was not the biggest kid. He was not the strongest kid for sure. Um, he wasn't even the, 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 just the, the, the guy you would recruit by if they were standing in a line. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have picked him. But if you watched him, you would pick him right away. So they were doing these ladder drills, and then they had to hit this big thing as they come out of the ladder drill. And he, he moved faster. He hit harder than the biggest, strongest kid that was there. Why, why did he do that? Because he's, he's just all in. It, it's something you can't teach. He, he just something happened, and it's in there. Well, for a Christian, we should be the same way. That regardless of our upbringing or our background or our education level, if we know the living God, that, that should produce something in us that is like this all-in devotion, praise, expression, commitment to the Lord. And the nice thing is we, we don't have to work it up. 
It's something the Holy Spirit will produce in us as we respond to him, as we ask him, give me more. I want to see you more, Lord. I want to experience you more. And he will answer that prayer. So we want to let that, that kid was motivating watching him. Thought, as a Christian, that, that's how I want to be. I want to be committed to the Lord because of the grace and mercy that I have received. And here's something that, if nothing else causes you to sing and marvel, it should be this fact, that the Lord invites you to know him personally. The Lord, the one who spoke the galaxies into existence, the one who sustains all of creation, the one who watches over everything, who is all-powerful and almighty. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him on a personal level. Which brings us to the second point. The Lord invites us to know him. To know him. Not just know things about him, but to know him. Like you know your closest friend. He, he wants you to know him. Look at verse 3. The psalmist calls our attention to this. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We can know the Lord. Think of the people maybe that you came with today. You, you know them. Some you know really, really well. Some you may have just met today. And you're, you're getting to know. But it's relational. The God of the Bible is relational. And he sent his son so that we can enter that relationship. It's an incredible reality. It's a reality that was actually promised in the book of Jeremiah. Consider this from Jeremiah. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one tell his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they, should all, they shall all know me. From the least to the greatest, no matter what walk of life you are. From the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Psalm 100 verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. We can know him. So, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up having a personal relationship with the Lord. I met Jesus as a 19-year-old. Many of you are growing up or have grown up in a Christian home, and that is a wonderful gift from the Lord. But at some point in that upbringing, the transition needs to go from knowing lots of true things about the Lord to having a personal relationship with the Lord. And that comes as you call out to Jesus. Jesus, save me. Jesus, rescue me. Jesus, I want to know you. I want to know what you're like. I want to know your mercy. I want to know your grace. And as you call out to him, 
you will encounter him. So don't think of Christianity as just a set of true facts about the Lord. There are many true facts about the Lord. But it's way better than that. So this psalm begins with this big shout to a king. But here's where it's different. The king then comes around his court. He comes down into the people. And one by one, he introduces himself to us. And one by one, he invites us into a relationship with him. And one by one, he brings us into his family. And one by one, he cleans us up. One by one, he covers our guilt and shame by his sacrifice. And one by one, he restores what was broken. And he gives joy to the most downcast and brokenhearted. And one by one, the king of kings helps us to know him. And he gets to know us in a deeper way. So how can we know the Lord? We become his people. One of the wild things about verse 3, it has kind of two ideas happening at the same time. We know the Lord who made us, so we know him as creator. He's the one who made us. And we know him as savior. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So all human beings have been made by the Lord. So God is the one who defines who we are. But not all human beings know him as Savior, know him as shepherd who watches over in a personal way. That only comes through faith in Jesus. But those who come through faith in Jesus are brought into the fold, brought into the family. Listen to this verse in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. So think about like just your natural upbringing. Think about maybe what you were doing before you met Jesus. And then think about this. This will produce exuberant praise inside of you. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So as you recognize you once were in darkness and now you are in light, you once were blind and now you can see, you once were deaf to the voice of God and now you can hear him. The natural response is you're gonna proclaim the excellences, excellencies of him who called you. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received undeserving, incredible, unexpected, shockingly amazing mercy from the God who made you. That, that should cause us to respond. Not only that, we can know him as our father. He brings us in to his family. And he's the perfect father. He's a kind father. He's a good father. He's a powerful father. He's a wise father. He's a generous father. Consider this in John 1. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, 
but of God. To all who receive him through faith and repentance, he brings in to his family. He, he brings us in, and once we're in, you're never leaving. He's going to keep you. And not only that, but any time you're struggling, any time you're hurting, any time there's something happening, you can run right to him as your heavenly father, and he is attentive to you. The same love and mercy that motivated him to send Jesus is right there, eager for you. Don't wait like, I don't know if it's such a big deal. I'm not sure if I should come or not. No, just go. Go. Go to him over and over and over again. We can know him as our father. We can know him as our faithful shepherd. One who watches. You think of what a shepherd does. A shepherd protects. Shepherd feeds. Shepherd cares. When somebody gets tangled up into briars or bushes and they're, they're stuck, a shepherd will get bit by them and, and pull the briars off and tenderly get them on their way. When, when someone's about to plummet off of a cliff, a shepherd will yank them back to protect them. A good shepherd will never leave their eyes off of the fold that they're responsible for. A good shepherd will fight and, and keep off danger that is coming. We'll engage it. And we know from Psalm 23 that God, our shepherd, will even lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. Even that, that final dark moment for a believer in Jesus. The scariest moment of our lives, maybe for most, he will be right there with you, making sure you make it safely to heaven forever. He is a good and faithful father. He is a good and faithful shepherd. And we know from the New Testament that Jesus himself defined himself and described himself as the good shepherd. The one who will never, ever leave the sheep, his people, no matter what happens. The one who will never be afraid of any threat that will come on his people. The one that promises that I will never lose any of you. I know you all by name. I know every hair on your head. I know your fears, worries, concerns, cares. That shepherd, Jesus, says, bring them all to me. Bring all your burdens, all your fears, all your worries, all your hardship, and I will gladly carry it. See, this is a, such a different king. It's a benevolent, kind, and merciful king. So we can know the Lord. And if you know the Lord, you will know he is always worthy of praise, which brings us to the third point. The Lord is always worthy of praise and thanksgiving. Psalm 100, you might not know this, throughout church history, this has just been a, a very popular psalm. Uh, Charles Spurgeon referred to it as the old 100th, one that they would just keep coming back to. So you think of, just think not from when it was written in the Old Testament, just go New Testament to present day the last 2,000 plus years. Think of all that has occurred throughout human history. 
Think of all the wars and all the, the famines and all the diseases and all the plagues and all the strife and all the back and forth. There was never a moment where this psalm was not true and not fitting. And the reason is because God never changed. God is always worthy of praise and thanksgiving. Even when things get dark, even when things get challenging. Look at verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. We can enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Now, we didn't grow up in a monarchy where if you approach the king um, in the wrong way or too quickly, off with your head. I didn't grow up like that at all. Um, you didn't either. I just recently, in my, my regular Bible reading, I was reading Esther again, and even Esther, who was married to the king, didn't know if he was going to extend the, the scepter to her that meant she wouldn't be killed just from approaching. This is, this is her husband. Um, so the fact that we are called to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, that means we've been invited in. Through Jesus, we have full and complete and total undeserved access that another has earned for us. Jesus earned it for us. So pick a moment in world history. Believers, as they could gather, maybe with the burdens of, of their present circumstances and situation, they could still enter in. Lord, you are good. You are merciful. We can come to you. Your spirit is inside of us. We know that we are just traveling through this world. It's not our final destination. We know one day this will all be over. We will be in your presence forever. So right now, we're going to enter your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise. We're going to give thanks to you. We're going to bless your name. We're going to praise your name. I think we forget sometimes when we read the Bible, even when the Apostle Paul is writing, how hard his life was, how dangerous his life was. And yet he continually calls God's people to rejoice in the Lord, to be thankful, to praise the Lord. Uh, Charles Spurgeon has a great quote with this verse as well. He said, so long as we are receivers of mercy, we must be givers of thanks. So long as we are receivers of mercy, so long as we are on the receiving end of mercy, not justice, let us be givers of thanks. So we, we want to have this reality large in our mind. God is kind, gracious, loving, merciful, in this shocking, lavish way. Which is why Paul can write, both, both, both in 1 Thessalonians and Philippians, similar things. He says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all 
circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice always. Delight in the Lord always. Pray without ceasing. You can talk to your heavenly Father and give thanks in all circumstances. Then in Philippians he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. See, the more we delight in the Lord, the more we will delight in the Lord. Think about that. The more you find your joy and satisfaction in the Lord, the more that will just be a natural response. The more you, or me, I'll just say me, so I'll be nice. The more I grumble and complain and I'm aware of things I don't have that I might want, don't need, but might want and desire. The, the more inward focus I become, the more woe is me I become, the more self-pity. Like that's just a miserable pit, right? We've all lived in that pit. The exact opposite is true too. The more we are satisfied in the Lord. This is why um, if, you, if you have traveled to different parts of the world or you follow different missionaries, this is why some people who have far less than any of us can be way more joyful and satisfied because they are delighting in the Lord and they are rejoicing in all circumstances. That's what the Lord wants for us. He wants this exuberant praise and devotion. And the last thing the psalmist draws our attention to is this. The Lord is good and faithful to every generation. The Lord is good and faithful to every generation. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. The Lord is good. I mean, think about it this way. I, uh, I think a lot of fictional movies and stories are, are written in this premise. Imagine if God was all-powerful, but he wasn't good. If he was all-knowing and all-seeing, but he wasn't good. He wasn't just or kind or merciful. That would be frightening. See, he is all those things. He's all-wise, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing. But he's good. He's kind. He's gentle. He's tender. And that, that endears us to him as his children. The Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever. God's love never, ever changes. You can stake everything on God's faithfulness and his love. It is unchanging. So as you pray, you can, you can anchor it, anchor all your prayers in God's faithfulness and his love. He does not change. We are in a, a world that changes really fast. And so things are just kind of changing in hyperspeed. And one of, my, one of my favorite things to do, or one of the things I enjoy, um, is to go to my grandfather's house, who is 90 years old. He lives in Haynes Acres in York, Pennsylvania. And his house, the feel of the house, the, the reality of no internet in the house, the newspaper sitting out, nothing has changed. It might change a little bit that I can remember, but it seems like since my first memory of walking into that house as a toddler, 
till present day. We were just there a few months ago. It's all the, exactly the same. Same flannel shirts, same slippers, same newspaper setting out, same everything. Well, there's a stability with that that is really good. And even the last time we were there, um, my grandfather is standing in the same driveway waving to me as, as he leaves, to my son Adam and I, just like he did when my sister and I were like, you know, seven and four. And it was like, wow, he, he has, now obviously he's changed because he's gotten older, but the feel has not changed. And that, that's just a wonderful um, reality to kind of step back into. Well, that, that's how the Lord is with his love and his kindness. It is unchanging in the perfect sense. And I love that the psalmist points out, he connects some dots. The Lord's good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. To all generations. To the youngest child in this room. To their great-great-grandchildren if the Lord doesn't return. He will be faithful. Our changing culture that, that is confusing and perplexing and disheartening at times is nothing the Lord can't work through. Nothing. The Lord's love, His faithfulness, His care, His watching over each of your children as you pray and trust them to Him, as you want them to know Him, He will be faithful. We just have to keep following Him and keep pursuing Him. And He calls us to trust Him. See, the more you spend time with him through prayer and in his word and growing that relationship, the more you will trust him. The more your heart will be tuned to trust him. This week at Equipped, both in the guys' session and in the women's sessions, our last one, um, they're going to be studying Proverbs chapter 3. Verses 5 and 6, some 7 and 8 as well. But let me just close with Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. See, this exuberant praise is, is centered on a God who is trustworthy. And the author writes, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. We we, we have a king who is trustworthy that we are called to follow and worship. So let's all stand. If I could have the band come up. Let's pray. Lord, would you please tune our hearts to worship you this morning. Would you help us to respond in this call to make a joyful noise to the Lord in all the earth, to serve the Lord with gladness, to come into his presence with singing. Lord, would you fill us with your spirit freshly now? And may we have the joy of the Lord. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your kindness. And we trust you. And we are so grateful that we know you. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.